Parliament is one of the most fascinating places in the UK, indeed the world. It's the model for so many other governments that are run by democracies. The idea of having a chamber where MPs debate each other, little rooms where portfolio committees meet, and a warren of offices where the MPs actually sit and do the rest of their work. Well, we got to walk through a whole lot of this, complete with medieval statuary and fired tiles on the floor to tapestries down the walls, and then the actual offices where the work gets done, with TVs in them and bells that signal the beginning and the end of voting, and a number of other interesting things. The man we got to meet was Greg Hands, MP, who was a Minister of State in the Department for International Trade from 2016 to 2018. Greg Hands was elected Conservative MP for Hammersmith and Fulham in 2005 and for Chelsea and Fulham in 2010. He resigned from government for a commitment that he'd made to his constituents to oppose the plans for a third runway at Heathrow Airport. The Prime Minister had whipped the party to vote in favour of the controversial expansion plans, which would see a number of small villages demolished to make way for a third runway. The magnitude of his resignation should be considered in the context of Greg's role as a minister responsible for trade policy, just as the UK gets ready to leave the EU. In the age of Trump and others, <laughs> honouring your convictions is about as rare as seeing a unicorn. So Greg Hans, MP, it's a pleasure to meet you, and it's a pleasure to spend some time in your office in Westminster. Um, and you were a minister, and one of the reasons that I was quite interested in talking to you in particular was because you've done something very few politicians in the world get right, and that is follow your principles. And there was a, a, high, a, a runway, a third runway being planned at Heathrow, and you um, said to your constituents, you don't like the idea, and there would be villages torn down and all kinds of things uh, put into action to make that runway happen. And then when the vote went through, you resigned as minister. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, first of all, thank you for coming by. And um, uh, and uh, it's good to see some interest uh, in uh, what's going on in uh, Westminster and about uh, this kind of thing. Um, but for me, uh, what had happened was that I pledged, we had a general election in the UK, uh, as you probably know, last June. And I'd mm. said on my election leaflets, probably 100,000 election leaflets, um, that uh, this is something I was opposed to, and I said I will vote against it when it comes to Parliament. Lo and behold, it comes to the vote in Parliament. Uh, I voted against it, as I always planned to do. Uh, what I hadn't been expecting was that the government would whip the vote. I was always thought it was going to be a, like a free vote, and it was going to be passed, almost certainly, regressively. Um, so I felt I had no choice uh, to resign from the government to fulfil that election pledge. It would have been very difficult for me not to fulfil that election pledge, having made it so clearly uh, only a year ago. It's not like something that I said um, 10, 20 years ago. It was like last year. So I felt something I had to deliver on. And you also didn't sneak out and find yourself absent at the time, which I think some some compromised people might have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that was uh, that. Of course, there's always a possibility. It, you can split hairs by saying, you know, you weren't there for the vote, therefore I wasn't in favour. Um, but my pledge was very clear: I will vote against. Right, and that was what I felt that I had to do, given my specific pledge. But you and, understand my curiosity because 
I, I, we have lots of politicians in South Africa who promise all kinds of things. Yeah. And then <laughs> do the opposite when it suits them or when they think yeah. it's pragmatic to do so. Well, sometimes, I mean, to be fair, sometimes it, it might be impossible mm. to fulfill an election pledge. Um, but here, it was perfectly possible to vote against in Parliament. Uh, um, it was a, uh, I think it's be, I would be careful about um, doing down all politicians uh, simply because they haven't been able to meet all of their pledges. What I would say is, as a politician, I think you should meet all of your pledges wherever possible. Of course. And oh. here it was perfectly possible to vote against it, um, the third runway uh, at Heathrow. And here it's a case of every MP is really accountable um, to his or her constituents. Mm. So if other MPs made a different choice then they need to justify that to the, their uh, constituents. In my case, mm. uh, I've got uh, 72,000 uh, electors in Chelsea and Fulham. It's a big issue locally. Uh, we're directly under the flight path of the existing runways. Um, and it was a big local issue. And most importantly, I'd made that key election pledge. What's it, what's it like being a, a minister and what's it like being an MP? And what are the, what are the differences? Yeah. I mean, how much of your time yeah. can you spend with your constituents? Yeah. How much time do you have to spend in committees? Um, how much work is there that's, that's yeah. complicated and, and not necessarily fun? I'm just curious about what yeah, a day yeah. in the life of an MP or, yeah. or a minister. Well, I think uh, um, uh, most ministers are MPs. Some are members of the House of Lords. Um, so uh, you become an MP before you become a minister in, in almost all cases. Uh, and it's a bit like doing two jobs um, because the ministerial role is, uh, most ministerial roles, for all ministerial roles are very substantial jobs, uh, as well as being the job of the local MP for me, for Chelsea and Fulham. So it's a bit like trying to squeeze in two working days into one. Mm. Uh, you've got to make yourself very, very well organised, You've got to the, the advantage of being a minister. As an MP, you generally have three or four staff working for you who are very good, but it's still only three or four staff. As a minister, you've suddenly got thousands of people working for you. So most recently, I was a minister at the Department for International Trade, and that has about uh, 3,000 people worldwide uh, working for it. Um, so that makes a big difference. But I would say the key thing is managing your time well uh, and you've got all these competing pressures on your time. Now, that's even before you mention friends, family, mm. uh, um, any other sort of commitments that you've got. Uh, everyone's always trying to get a chunk out of you yeah. in terms of your time and your life. But, but that's what people do. You know, that's part of being what being a minister is all about. I wouldn't want to change that. I think it's helpful that government ministers do have constituencies. It does make you more in touch with people than would otherwise be the case if you weren't representing a constituency at the same time. And and do you find it's difficult sometimes to apportion your time to, to the right things or even to find enough? Do you, I mean, do you sleep when you're a minister? <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, um, you always kind of get the feeling you're trying to squeeze in three days into one. Oh. You know, you're trying to... Uh, um, I mean, I've got children aged um, 12 and 11 and... Um, trying to squeeze in time with them, squeeze in time with Mrs. Oh. Hans, uh, the ministerial job, the MP job, let alone anything else you might want to do oh. as well. You know, read a book. Right, um, um, be a human being. Be a human being. <laughs> um, so it is kind of like trying to squeeze all these things into one. And you end up doing probably like four or five jobs, none of which 
are you really doing um, to the, as much time as you would ever want to put into that aspect of your life? And almost more so if you're Minister of, of the Department of International Trade, because you also have to travel a lot then. Yeah, so travel is obviously a huge part of uh, that role. I was yeah. in South Africa, for example, uh, back in oh. April. Um, and you might be doing quite a lot of long-haul travel, short-haul travel, um, and those will be pretty busy schedules. So um, some uh, some parts of the world won't have had a UK government minister visit them for some time. South Africa actually has got quite a few coming through. Uh, but when I visited, for example, Kenya, hadn't had a UK minister for quite a while, and so they try and maximise your impact, understandably, right. are... High Commissioner and his team will try and maximise uh, the impact of a UK government minister coming. And you do a pretty packed programme, and that can be quite relentless. But it's, I mean, but having said that, you know, it's, it's great fun uh, doing some of these jobs. Uh, the trade job, uh, I've got a background, a very international background, and a good financial background. Uh, so trade, uh, for me, I found a natural fit and uh, was able to talk about trade. Trade can be both um, satisfying but also quite um, technical at times. The rules of international trade can be quite technical. So it's a good combination. It's a good job, though. And then, of course, when you're a minister, you're also in cabinet, right? Well, I, I, was the, the, I have been in cabinet, but mm. doing the trade job, I was just below cabinet. But oh, okay. previously, I was in cabinet when I was um, so the chief secretary. that adds a whole, whole new... It does. So, I mean, cabinet meets uh, once a week. There's all kinds of cabinet uh, committees, uh, subcommittees. You're probably doing more media when you're in the cabinet. Um, so that adds, if you like, uh, and more, even more pressure on your time mm. and being able to fulfill all of these things uh, at once uh, can be quite tricky. And sometimes you have to make compromises. Um, and, and being here in Parliament, uh, how, how often do you have to go and sit in Parliament and be present when bills are debated? And yeah, it would sort passed. of depend. Uh, so it would depend really which ministerial job. So trade actually wasn't particularly intensive in Parliament. There's uh, trade oral questions from MPs every five weeks and um, some legislation. In fact, at the moment in the UK, we've got the trade bill going through and the uh, the taxation cross-border trade bills are the two pieces of important legislation going through, so that's becoming slightly more intensive. Uh, other ministers are here all the time, like um, you know, um, there's always some legislation going through on very often on counter-terrorism, very often welfare reform going through, so the ministers for those areas will be very frequently in the House of Commons, whereas um, the, uh, shall we say, the minister for... Uh, international development uh, will generally be abroad keeping an eye on our international development budget and, and mm, our international sure. development effort. And, and then as an MP? As an MP, well, uh, one of the odd things about being a minister, of course, is that you are one of the people answering mm. the questions and answering in debates. So yeah, you can ask a, them as well. As a minister, you cannot be in the Commons asking questions because the way the government works is all collective responsibility. Mm. So you cannot be both a member of the government asking a question and in a different topic answering. So when you become a minister as an MP, you have to give up the right to ask questions. However, the flip side of that is you can ask questions well uh, around, uh, around the edges of Parliament right. to ministers, because you'll see other ministers, you're going to ask questions on behalf of your constituency then. And you mentioned that you, you have 
people who, who you need on, on staff, um, who are your sort of core team? What, what do they do? Well, as, a, uh, as an MP, um, M- MPs in this country have typically three or four members of staff, mm-hmm. um, and they will look after uh, anything you're doing in Parliament, They'll look after uh, constituency casework mm-hmm. or constituency issues. Uh, we already talked about a Heathrow Airport as being a big constituency issue in Chelsea and Fulham, but there are other ones, uh, like uh, the state of the tube in London's big constituency issue uh, and other things. Um, so one's, you've got a small team here in Parliament. As a minister, you've got a private office who work directly for the minister. That would normally be about six or seven people. Um, and then you've got the whole wider department, which mm. for some government departments enormous. can be enormous. Yeah. Uh, but for my, the last department I was in, Department of International Trade, was about three thousand. And you, you have, you spend once once a week. You spend time in your constituencies. Well, uh, yeah. Although that will again vary a little bit. My constituency is very unusual, uh, as Chelsea and Fulham. That First it is next close by. It's it's <laughs> it's next door departments. Right. So I can dart in and out of my constituency much more often. Uh, which is generally an advantage. Uh, if I were an MP for further away, and let's face it, most MPs are further away, and London's got 72 of the um, 650 MPs, um, then most MPs will return to their constituency, say, on a Thursday evening, mm-hmm. do a full working day Friday, often a full working day on Saturday, doing different events and so on and then Sunday or Monday morning make their way back to London for the start of Parliament 2.30 on Monday. Um, slightly controversial, but probably you're one of those people who knows how to answer these questions, having been a minister as well. But the, uh, the complications arising from Brexit and the, um, the, the, the general business of Parliament and how it might have changed since that, that uh, referendum... Yeah, well, Brexit is a set of challenges and opportunities for the UK. Um, And that is true whether it's in matters of trade that I was dealing with, uh, whether it's uh, matters of uh, migration, whether it's uh, matters of of how we cooperate further with the EU on important issues like Mm counterterrorism, security, foreign policy, you know, what is our approach to Russia, what is our approach... Um, to trade policy towards China, all these things where continued cooperation is desirable, some places essential. Mm. So it's dealing with the challenges and maximising the opportunities. Trade is one of the areas where I think there are both. Mm-hmm. So 43% of British exports at the moment go to the EU. Really important that we maintain uh, trade as frictionless as possible with the EU. The opportunities will be in no longer being part of the EU, being able to have our own independent trade policy and make sure that trade policy suits the UK. At the moment, with the trade policy suiting all 28 members of the EU, that's a lot of compromises thrown in there. And being our own independent trade policy is a huge opportunity. So uh, it is a um, a big, uh, huge still political issue in the UK. Brexit uh, dominates our politics, Mm -hmm. probably will continue to do so for another couple of years, has done for the last two and a half years. Uh, It's slightly all-consuming at times. But I think for... When thinking from a South African perspective, I think it's an opportunity for the for the UK 
to reset our trading relations with South Africa uh, and obviously future migration policy for the UK, that will be one to keep an eye out for mm. um, because where the UK goes after a world of uh, free movement with the EU, where the UK were to take migration policy, that's not been set yet and certainly not for me uh, as I'm not the immigration minister to set, that'll be one to keep an eye on. All right. Well, that's that's something I think we should do. And obviously, there are good trade relations between South Africa and, and the UK. Perhaps they could even be improved some more. Um, we've been here meeting with, with business leaders, um, people in, in various uh, entrepreneurial enterprises and, and, and uh, with the, the Department of International Trade as well, um, figuring out how to improve those relations. I, I think that the world is probably becoming better and better for trade. Do you agree? Um, I think it's a, it's a bit of both. I think, um, yes, um, trade is going up and trade is improving, but there are some threats to worldwide trade. Um, most of the um, new barriers to trade in the last 10 years or so have been erected in G20 countries. Um, the uh, President Trump's recent steel tariffs and his auto tariffs um, actually, the U.S. has been some ways moving in that direction for a few years now. We need to make sure that uh, the U.K. is a strong voice for free trade in the world. Um, I met with uh, South African Trade Minister Rob Davies when I was in Pretoria in April. Uh, I think South Africa could be a key ally uh, for free trade. Um, and uh, that'll be something which I think to keep an eye out for. The UK will be reasserting our independent membership of the World Trade Organization, making sure the UK has a strong voice for global free trade. I think South Africa is a country uh, that uh, should be a strong advocate for free trade as well. Well, I, I thank you for your time, and it, it's really it's interesting to see Parliament from the inside uh, and not just from the, the point of view of so many of us who see it on television every now and then and perhaps visit it as tourists. Um, it, it obviously is a hive of activity on some days and on other days you can catch your breath, but it seems that you've got piles and piles of paperwork to get through and lots of people well, to I, meet. I'm in the, in the, to in the process of uh, moving office at the moment. Oh, are you? Um, but uh, on a Thursday, you'll find it's typically a slightly quieter day. Um, so the big days here in the House of Commons are really Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the biggest day with Prime Minister's questions uh, every week, uh, Wednesday lunchtime, UK time. Mm -hmm. um, that is probably the biggest day. Um, and Thursday tends to wind down a little bit. And, and Friday is most normally Parliament's not sitting. Right. And that's when MPs are back in their constituencies. It must be quite exciting to, to be at the at this end of... Of politics, making laws, it is changing, and changing procedures. I mean, I've been in an MP the last um, thirteen years, mm. uh, which uh, these days is a long time in Parliament. Uh, career political careers get shorter in the UK. I'm now in, although I've only been an MP for thirteen years, I'm now in the uh, longest one third serving MPs really? after just thirteen years. The average, the median length of service is now down to about eight years or so. Um, so you can quite quickly become kind of an experienced, uh, older hand at this. Um, but uh, Parliament, having said that, Parliament is is right back at the centre of national life in the UK. And there's various reasons for that, not least because uh, Brexit, uh, there's a lot of important laws going through about Brexit, plus 
uh, as you all know and your your listeners will know, um, it's a hung parliament in Britain mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, so every vote uh, is there. There's always an uncertainty around every single vote. Um, the government, though, has only lost one vote since the election. So the government is in a good position. Theresa May is in a good position. Uh, but that's also a reason why there's a lot more attention to Parliament is the fact that it's a hung Parliament. There's no overall majority. Hmm. Well, you're, you're obviously making your contribution with a lot of thought and and uh, and, and introspection and, and research and making sure that your constituencies are happy. And and uh, there's lo- there are a lot of people to please if you're an MP. Well, and you can never please everybody. No. <laughs> um, but the quicker you realise that is the better in my experience. Um, if you set out to please everybody all of the time, you would eventually, after a few years, end up pleasing end up nobody. Pleasing nobody. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to take a stand and um, votes in Parliament... Um, by definition, force you into either the I lobby or the no lobby, at which point you could be upsetting some people quite a lot. And the records are there forever. And the records are there forever. It's uh, well documented. You can you know, even watch, uh, as we know, uh, watch Parliament live. You can't watch a division live, oddly enough, but, um, but uh, you can see pretty quickly and directly which way your MP has voted. Uh, and that is a good thing, because I think MPs... Uh, need to be accountable. Going back to my resignation, I was very clear that I needed to be accountable. Mm. I'd made a clear election pledge. You could hardly get a clearer election pledge than I will vote against this in Parliament. Right. Uh, I fulfilled that pledge, um, and I think that is the right thing to do for MPs to be accountable. And MPs are not delegates. You know, We are representatives. So it's not like every single issue you would say, you know, my constituents are 51% in favour of this or whatever it may be. Uh, M- uh, constituents will send their MP to Parliament to represent them overall. Right. And obviously, by definition, I can't please everybody on every single issue. No, sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being so hospitable to us. And, um, and thanks for inviting us to Parliament. Yeah, well, thank you very much very indeed. Oh. And it's good to see your uh, interest in what's going on in in the UK Parliament and UK politics. Uh, I'm very optimistic about our future, uh, and I think that's going to be a good future as well in UK-South Africa relations. I hope so. Thank you very much. And it's been good. Thank you. Great. Thank you.